Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to... Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we continue our countdown of our top 10 Division I women's college tennis teams heading into the 2023 college tennis season. It's crazy to think, but folks, we are less than two weeks away from the start of another exciting college tennis season. As such, we know it's our job here at Crack Rackets to prepare all of you listeners for the start of the action and If you have missed any of our previews of our top 10 teams heading into the season, all you got to do is scroll down on your Great Shot podcast feed. You'll see our previews of teams 5 through 10 in our preseason polls for both the Division I men and women. Of course, over the course of the next two weeks, we're going to be breaking down our top four teams heading into the season. And as always, I will preface these podcasts with the following statement from From here on in, we're talking Tier 1 contenders. Every team we discuss through the rest of our preview series is certainly capable of hoisting a national championship in 2023, of course, on each of these podcasts. What we want to do is make the case for each of these teams, not only talk about the strengths, but talk about some of their weaknesses, offer predictions, as we always do in our preview podcast. And of course, if I'm previewing another Division 1, preseason top 10 team. You know who's joining me to help me do just that. He's a returning champion of returning champions here on our Crack Rackets podcast, founder of the No Ad No Problem blog and podcast, and am a man, I should say, currently enjoying a well-deserved vacation in Hawaii. It's our dear friend, John J. Parsons. Jay, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. It's vacation season. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. It feels so nice to have a little break from the full-time job and can lean into my my part-time job here with with Cracked Rackets and just uh, dive into you know our final few podcasts previewing what is certainly going to be a great season, but it comes up super shortly here. So very excited. I feel like a weight has been lifted off of me. To be honest, I'm I'm in a great mood. I'm glad to hear that. Is it a part-time job or is it an indentured servitude that you do here at Cracked Rackets? I'm not sure how I would describe it. I I may have used those words offline for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But no, look, I mean, this is truly stuff that I, I love doing. I love talking about this stuff, so it doesn't feel like a job at all. Oh, that's what I'm glad to hear. Hopefully, we're going to be able to keep it that way throughout the course of this 2023 season. And in the spirit, by the way, of the holidays, in the spirit of this end of year push, just want to wish everyone a happy belated Merry Christmas, a 
Happy belated Hanukkah as well. I know it's the commercialized holiday season, right? This is where you get to give out the gifts. This is where we get to celebrate. You get to see all the Christmas commercials, etc. What's what's Christmas look like in the Parsons household? Very low key. Uh, we're not a commercialized family, so we take it very easy during uh, the Christmas holiday. And then, as you know, you mentioned, then we head out. You know, we go to we spend some time in Hawaii, get some warmer weather than we have here in California. So, you know, uh, it's an enjoyable time of the year. I look forward to it. Yeah, I agree. We Gruskins, you know, my parents have a philosophy every day is Hanukkah in the Gruskin household. So we don't celebrate the eighth days. I mean, we'll get around the menorah. Well, you know, a share kid Shanu Bamitzvotad, like the best of them. But I agree. This is more about just spending time with family, having those opportunity to relax, recharge the batteries, head into the 2023 season amped up and ready to go. But of course, as you mentioned, we still got a little work to do here on this show. We've got four preview podcasts left. And of course, here on today. Day show. We are talking about our number four preseason team, the University of Georgia. Of course, what we want to do, as we always do, look back on 2022. What are the reflections we take from last season? Then, of course, we'll get back into the pieces this Georgia team brings in. Who are the new addition? Who are the returners? What do we expect the lineups to look like? Strength, weaknesses, schedules, predictions. We'll get into all of that. Of course, a shout out, as always, to our dear friends at Tennis Point for their support of this show. With that said, let's get into it, Jay. Number four, University of Georgia, one of the blue bloods we certainly have in college tennis on both the men's and women's side. And look, I do wonder when Georgia fans look back at the 2022 season, what are their reflections? Because you look at the superficial numbers I don't think they tell the full story. You look for this Georgia team, 19-7 and seven overall on the year. They go 10-3 and three in conference play. They do qualify for the national indoors, but they were knocked out pretty quickly in the quarterfinals by NC State, a 4-2 match that was better. I think it you know, very much looked the part of 4-2, 4-3. It was a pick'em sort of match, but... You know, Georgia's a team not accustomed to going one and two at the national indoors. That's what happened to them last season. Losses to NC State and Virginia, perhaps even more pressingly for Georgia fans, they went 10 and three in conference play. It was one of those years, maybe the first time of the century where they weren't really in the conference title hunt. It was pretty clear it was Texas A&M followed by everyone else last year in the SEC. And as such, you look for this Georgia team ultimately knocked out by Texas A&M in the SEC tournament. Texas A&M a 4-0 win in that match as well. Then for Georgia, they obviously get to the NCAA round of 16 where they are knocked off by Duke. And so, Jay, I ask you, looking back at the 2022 season, looking at the pieces this Georgia team possessed, 19-7 and overall, 10-3 and in conference play, national indoor quarterfinals, NCAA round of 16. Did they exceed expectations? Did they underperform? Or did they get things just right? You know, it's a, it's an interesting question for this Georgia team because 2022 felt like a new era mm-hmm. for Georgia. It was the post, you know, Katarina Jokic era for this Georgia team. You know, their former number one player, number one player in the country who really, you know, led that team to so much success, including the 2019 NCAA team final. You know, they graduate three of their seniors in Jokic and Gonzalez and Christoffi from that 2021 team who made the NCAA quarterfinals. 
And so they bring in a lot of new faces, right? And we'll talk about those new faces, but last year, you know, they bring in a lot of freshmen. And so it was a turning of the page for this Georgia program. And so I think if you had told us at the end of 2021 that this is a Georgia team that finishes 12 and makes the round of 16, you would probably say, okay, like, I think that feels just right, given the pieces that they're losing, kind of the unknown quantities that come in. I think what's hard about that particular 2022 season, it was just so up and down and the wheels kind of fell off of of the wagon towards the end of the season, right? You talk about that 10 and three record outside of indoors. They, you know, they got steamrolled by Texas A&M at home 7-0. But other than that, they had played really solid. And then they go to Alabama and they do that Alabama stretch. You know, they have matches where they don't have two of their star freshmen in Vidmanova and Riasco. They have a match without Leah Ma. And that's where things kind of get derailed a little bit. So I think down the home stretch, you probably feel like things could have gone a lot better. Overall, I think it feels like a just right season. Um, and and I think they're they're feeling much better about moving into 2023. It was fascinating because there were sort of two teams being coached within Georgia last season, right? You had some of the known faces, the known commodities, the Kopics of the world, the Kowalskis of the world, even to some extent, Leah Ma. I feel like we knew what to expect from her going into the 2022 season, but then you're absolutely right. Whether it was Riasco, Vietmanova, even Narundorn in particular towards the ending of the season, uh, don't want to throw Grant out of the mix as well. It was fascinating because the pieces they relied on heavily at the top of their lineup, which is, of course, a difficult, you know, any player playing at the top of a lineup of a top 10 team, those are going to have outsized expectations. You're going to have to play a high level for a team to have success. And, you know, to Riasco's credit, to Vianmanova's credit, they did have a bunch of success throughout the course of the 2022 season. But you're absolutely right. When you look at some of the losses this team took, throughout the course of last year and dare I say where those losses occurred right like in the NC State match or in the Virginia match it was really tough because again really good matchups for some of these freshmen when you're going up against the Navarros of the world or uh, even obviously uh, uh, Natasha Subash who has all sorts of experience now what was fascinating is, you know, Leah Ma played really well at the National Indoor. She was actually, I thought, played really good tennis to start the year. But you're right, the fact that they didn't have Leah Ma to end the season, that's something that has to be discussed when looking at the result because whenever you take a number one singles player off of a roster, there's always going to be a significant impact. But particularly when you take off that number one player, now you've got two freshmen stepping into those top two spots. It's an immeasurable quantity, right? You you can't measure the impact that will have on the rest of the team, although I suppose you can in the fact that they lost to Duke in the round of 16 there. But I mean, overall, looking at the record, right? So as we look at the returners, I, I would I think it was about just right, by the way, to to put a final bow on that first question. Like with how talented some of those teams were, I just I don't think Georgia was the same quality as A and M as honestly any of the teams we saw at the final site. Maybe Virginia, who by the way they played four three during the season, but this Georgia team was never a tier one contender last year, and as such, I I don't think I wouldn't qualify that as a disappointment because they were a younger team. But I don't think we had outsized, or I don't think they exceeded expectations either, which might have been making the final site or making the semifinals 
with the roster that they had. That said, you talked about it being the end of the Jokic era, the turning of the page, a new chapter in Georgia tennis. Well, with that in mind, you probably feel really good about the returners you get back. And let's start at the top of the lineup with uh, Riasco and Viedmanova. You look for Mel Riasco last season, 27-9 and overall in singles, 15-6 and in dual match play. She got six reps at the number one singles position last year, Jay. She went 5-1, and 9-4 and four at that number two spot. I mean, Riasco's a blue-chip talent, right? You feel like for the remainder of her collegiate career, the physicality she brings, the weapons she possesses, I feel really good if Riasco, you know, is, is part of my top. We'll get to Ma in a second, but I feel really good with Riasco as as a big piece moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you talk about blue-chip talent. She's top 20 junior in the world, yeah. right? And she comes in and, and acclimates very well. I think getting those reps at you know playing number one in the sec tournament at ncaa's will help her immeasurably moving forward um as she will factor into the top of the lineup you know lefty you know big weapons yeah you know yeah she um she came into this fall ranked number 13 right so she is certainly one of the top players in the country you mentioned it down the home season stretch wins over hamner ovunk of auburn mertenna of tennessee Played a really good match against Brandstein uh, of AM, went over Carolyn Campana of Wake Forest as well. Like, you can't fake that experience. And she certainly got it throughout the course of last season. That said, and you know this about me, as much as I like Riasco's game, it was just sitting up there at that national indoors watching Dasha Viedmanova play. I'm all in. On Viedmanova's upside, I'm all in on her future, the size she possesses, the weapons she possesses. Obviously, she was able to get some reps at number two singles to end the season, and she struggled, actually, going from three to two in a way Riasco didn't, going two to one. But I think the struggles came from a place of physicality. I don't, you know, no one's going to accuse her of being the best mover right now, and I think that's... That's just a that's an improvable, right? That that's something that Vianmanova, with more time in the Georgia system, in the weight room, just the older you get, the more physical you can become. I love the underlying talent of Vianmanova and Jay. I it wouldn't shock me at all to see her make that sophomore surge we see from so many of the greats in college tennis. Yeah, and not to make excuses for her down the home stretch. I mean, she was 13-2 and two at number three. You yeah. talk about she moving up to two, struggled there. She also got injured down that home yeah. stretch. I recall rolling her ankle in one of the doubles mm-hmm. matches. Like, I'm not sure she was fully healthy, but we do also see, you know, many a freshman run into sort of that end-of-season wall. We talked about it with Connie Moff, Stanford, just having a dip towards the end. That also could have been a factor. She certainly has the physicality. You know, it's been interesting um, – Georgia didn't play All-Americans, which is a very interesting choice. It it kind of reduces some of our collegiate data that we have on the fall. But given that, you have a Riasco who plays just one event in college, much smaller event. She plays a few events on the ITF tour. Viedmanova has seemingly already started to make that leap, right? She was 11-2 and this fall. Uh, Her only losses came to Janice Chen and Carol Lee, you know, Janice Chen of Pepperdine, Carolee of Georgia Tech, top players in the country. No shame in those losses. Um, so she feels primed and ready for for that for that sophomore surge, if you will. And and they might not even need it, which is one of the things that makes uh, this Georgia team really tricky. 
Absolutely. And I mean, by the way, for Riasco, you mentioned she may not have played the most uh, matches in the collegiate realm, but she made a semifinal at a 15K in Cancun, a couple of quarterfinals at the 25K level as well. So she has been getting matches in over the course of the past six months. But you mentioned a big thing there. I mean, we both have. Shout out to us. Uh, Riasco going from two to one. Villanova going from three to two to end this season. That was because Leah Ma had seemingly left the team, left the school, was left off the roster come the NCAA tournament. Jay, in maybe the biggest shock of the fall, Leah Ma's back. Like, talk to me about what her fall looked like and the impact of getting her back and what that means to this team. Yeah, it's definitely been one of one of the things maybe people don't talk about enough. But yeah, yeah Leah Ma is back. Uh, and this is a, a huge, huge coup to the program. It's great to see her back. This is a player who, you know, really emerged in 2021, kind of playing number two behind Jokic. Had a really solid record there in 2021 at 15 and three. She moves up to number one after the Jokic departure. Was playing solid, I thought, throughout you know, the 2022 season, 10 and four at number one, you know, they, you know, she's, she's off the roster for the SEC tournament for the NCAAs. I think, you know, we thought maybe we would not see Leah Ma back in college. She's back and seemingly better than ever, right? She (laughs) goes 14 and two in the fall. She finishes 19 in the fall rankings, which is where that, sounds exactly right of kind of where she should be her only losses come to again janice chen who by the way janice chen has wins over almost every single person on this georgia roster she played a lot of georgia bulldogs this fall but uh she loses to janice chen and daria Freeman at the fall nationals and we know Freeman, the san diego specialist that's just a tough match um and she she wins the southeast regional you know beating carol lee of georgia tech so it doesn't get much better than that from a, a fall perspective in the in the collegiate ranks. So Leah Ma's back. She seemingly is playing better than ever. That is a massive re-addition, we'll say, to this Georgia roster. Yeah, Ma went ten and four last season at that number one spot. Let's not forget. And to your point, she was so successful at the number two position the year prior, playing behind Jokic. I will never forget the match between her and Subash uh, yeah. at the NCAA's in Orlando, where all of us were thinking, "How is she not having a heat stroke playing in these long sleeves still when it's ninety-five freaking degrees out?" But you know, you look at some of the wins she was able to earn last year. She beat Jada Daniels. She, you know, got good wins over just about anyone you could ask for Anna Ross uh certainly of Vanderbilt Cantos Siemers when they came to town for Ohio State you feel like you have three legitimate options right at those one through three positions before we get to any of the other returners before we get to the new pieces if Ma Riasco Villanova is your top three Jay you ride with that top three uh, comparatively I mean North Carolina may be aside I feel pretty good about that top three against anyone yeah, I, I do as well. I mean, it's not quite what you see on paper from USC or Pepperdine from a UTR perspective, but I, you know, I think we know the talent of a Riasco and a Vidmanova. You know, they are you know, up there with the best twos and threes in the country. Certainly, you feel good about that number three position against anyone. So, you would ride with that all day. And now they're all that much more experienced uh, in twenty twenty three. 
I also love the contrast of styles between the three. It Very feels like much it's a, so. Right? It's a really nice spectrum. You've got the physicality of a Riasco, the line drive power of a Viad Minova, and then like Moss kind of somewhere in between where it's like, eh, it's a little bit from both camps. I mean, <laughs> it's really impressive. Like, I really like what they bring at the top of their lineup. And I mean, look. This team also brings back some pieces. I don't know how Meg Kowalski, who I feel like sometimes, I don't know, I I feel like Meg Kowalski got off, her and I got off to the wrong start because there was a clip I tweeted back of her after a match at that NCAAs, and it looked way different than the moment was, and so I'm forever apologetic for tweeting out that thing. One of the things you learn early in journalism, always make sure you get the full story, but the point is, Meg Kowalski's back for another season here this year. And I mean, if Kowalski's in a four, five, six singles position with the experience that she brings, boy, am I feeling really good playing her in the bottom half of the lineup. And you look for Meg, 14 and five last season in dual match play, 21 and nine overall. I mean, they bring back her. Anya Hurdle comes back. You look at what Hurdle was able to accomplish last season, 16-3 and overall, playing primarily in the four through six singles positions. You know, Grant's another year more experienced. Narundorn, another year more experienced. Even before we get into new additions, uh, uh, the new additions, the new pieces, Jay, I think when you look, again, this is a team that traditionally in the non-COVID times, like they would be ready to rock and freaking roll this year. They've actually got, in my opinion, a really nice core to build around. Yeah, I mean, they they have seven returners here who are all, would all be starting in almost any other program in the country, right? Mm-hmm. You talk about uh, Narundor and Grant. I mean, they're both around a 10-5 UTR. That is a very solid four, five, or six, and they might not even be in that top six, right? And you had Narundorn step up into that six role. I thought she was excellent down the home stretch for them when she stepped in. You know, she has had a good fall, eight and four this season. Grant didn't play as much in the dual season. She goes 11 and four this fall, gets a good win over, you know, uh, Penn transfer, and now at Duke, Bryce Skalova. I mean, there's just talent up and down this roster. I looked... If you go eight deep, right, they would be the highest UTR uh, <laughs> in in the country. Um, so they got a lot of talent. And, you know, Kowalski is that. She's fifth year. She's the only connective tissue mm-hmm. between this roster and that 2019 team who made the NCAA final in Orlando. So... Yeah, there's up and down the up and down the roster. There are, are pieces here, and and hurdle. I think you know another player we probably don't talk about enough. But sixteen and three, five and six, and you're bringing that back. So they've got a lot of a lot of pieces and a lot, just a lot of depth. That's so well said. This team is still young as a in a in its whole in its entirety. But yeah, I'm I'm really happy you brought up that one part about Kowalski. Just to have that connective tissue, to have the unequivocal senior leader. And by the way. Not going to find someone who eats, lives, breathes, sleeps college tennis more than Meg Kowalski. I really love the the way this team has been built. And I think head coach uh, Jeff Wallace and you know associate head coach Drake Bernstein. They have this Georgia program exactly where they want it to be moving into the rest of this decade. And to Georgia fans who are like, well, last year, you know, if if your answer to last season was it was a little bit disappointing because Georgia should always be at a final site. Georgia should always be in quarterfinals. 
I think Georgia fans have earned the right to be a little bit greedy. Certainly the Georgia Bulldogs men's women's side have historically performed at those levels, but that's where I think you got to look at 2022 in the perspective of what this three to four year run is supposed to look like for this program. And maybe last year was the year you take some lumps. Honestly, maybe this year's a year you take maybe one or two more unexpected losses before Boy, does this team just scream 2024 preseason number one uh, when we begin to look ahead. And I suppose we can get to that conversation maybe a little bit later, Jay. But with that returning core of seven, again, unequivocally a group that's going to be competing at all the big events for all the big titles. But perhaps what makes this team an unequivocal top four and national title contender this season, Jay, is the new additions they also bring in. Talk to me about them. Yeah, I mean, so they bring in two freshmen. Uh, the first I'll start with is Anastasia Lopada. She's top 30 junior in the world. Uh, you know, she's top four in UTR for this team. You know, she got wins at all of the junior slams uh, this past year. And her fall has been uh, very up and down, I think, but screams of high upside, right? She's gone seven and six, but she's got wins over players like Alexa Noel, former top five player in the country, Cataldi of Wisconsin, who is, I feel like, on your short list of favorite players, um, you know, <laughs> Bryce Golova of Duke, Kylie Bilchev of, of Georgia Tech. She's taken some surprising losses too, but you look at that and you look at the freshman fall and you're going, well, the upside is clearly there. So the talent is, is unequivocal. Um, she will absolutely factor into just the incredible depth that this team has. Um, any thoughts on Lopata? Well, let me be clear to correct the record. I don't play favorites anymore. I've grown out of them, except <laughs> for my little sister, Julia Fliegner, who's obviously my favorite player in the country, and I'm allowed to root for her because that's family. When you spend six Thanksgivings in a row with a family, that's just how it works. Um yeah, I really like Lapata's game, Jay. <laughs> like, I, I don't have much to add to what you said. To get a win over an Alexa Noel just proves that there's an underlying physicality already there. And again, the thing I think I enjoy most about the theory of Lapata is it's like you are not asking her to play top three right away. Now, if she is playing top three, that means her level is undeniable. That means yep. Villanova, Riasco, Ma as experienced and worthy is the wrong word, but as prepared as those three are to play the top three position, you didn't need it because that's how good this freshman Lapata has been. And the idea of throwing her in a four spot or a five spot or a six single spot, Jay, I mean, it's laughable. What's the UTR? It's like around 11, right? It's it's like crazy. Yeah, it's not quite 11, um, but it's, say, like it's 10, around. Yeah, it's around. Yeah, it's like 10, seven, um, you know, and she's where... Um, you know, it's where kind of Riasco and Vidmanova have been. Uh, she's ten seven seven. Yeah, that's it's um, really good for freshmen, guys. Just for very for good listeners for a who freshman. don't know. Yeah, that's yes. a really high yeah. level. But then it's like one could make a case that she is not the best freshman on this Georgia roster. Yeah, and that's the massive question mark here, right? Mm-hmm. And so she's not the only freshman who comes in. They bring in Alexandra Vekic, former top eight junior in the world, top 500 WTA. This is what makes this team a clear cut top eight contender to being a firmly in this national championship conversation. Because 
by all signs, Alexandra Vekic would be one of the top players in college tennis, right? She has just, you know, she lost in the 25K final to Peyton Stearns, 7-5 in the third. Peyton Stearns, the NCAA singles champion this prior year. But it remains to be seen, right? So she's on the roster, you know, for background. She signed with LSU in the fall of 19 and the fall of 2020. In 2021, our good friend Parsa announces that she's turning pro, and now she shows up on the Georgia roster. And it's it's a, it's I have questions, right? Because they have now nine very clear scholarship players. Um, you know, women's tennis has eight. But look, I mean, if she's eligible, she's on the roster right now. You know, and you put her somewhere in that top three. And you're pushing down a, a Viedmanova, a Riasco down to four, and then you're <laughs> it, it, the the talent here. I think with Vekic, one through six lines up any day with any team in the country. Yeah, I, I mean, you mentioned the win over um, over or the the match, excuse me, against Stearns for Vet. Is it Vekic yeah. or is it Vecic? Do we know officially? Do we have the official pronunciation from the Georgia website? Well, that's a working title. We'll go with Vekic for now, but we'll figure it out come the start of 2023. We're doing our preseason research here, folks. I hope you all give us a second. But you mentioned that Stearns lost three sets. You know, in the run-up to there, three-set win over Hannah Chang, who's a top 250 player in the world. She beats Mel Riasco 3-2 and two at that event. Three-set win over former Duke standout Maria Mateus as well. She's gotten wins over Jada Daniel, who she beat 2-5 and five at an 80K in Tyler. She, you know, won, I think, a 25K earlier this year, made that final, excuse me, in Florence, but has made a couple of quarterfinal, semifinal runs at pro events, not only this year through her career, but by the way, Jay, she turns 21 on January 7th. Like, to get a 21-year-old freshman who's been a top 500 player in the world, you're right. It's a big question mark. Will she actually be on campus come the start of the dual match season? But the sneaky good thing for this Georgia team is she's the luxury piece, right? Like, she's the -the over-the-top auxiliary piece where it's like, if you get her, is Kowalski playing six? Is Hurdle playing six? Like, are we working the platoon system all year long where it's like, hey— everyone's going to get a weekend off. Like, don't worry. You come to me. If you're Jeff Wallace or you're Drake, you, you say, hey, everyone, at the moment you're feeling any sort of stress, fucking say something. Because if you don't want to play today, we've got options. And I think when you look at this team, right, that's the biggest strength. And you're absolutely right. It's still a big question. They need to see Vekic actually get on campus. But Even without her, Jay, when I start to assess the strengths of this team, it's just every permutation of the singles lineup you want to turn to. No matter who's playing where, this team can win at all six single spots. Yeah, absolutely. And she was on campus this fall, right? Mm -hmm. She's been on campus. You know, she did just make the the 25K in in Montecito. So (laughs) she might not come back. I don't know. But even without her, right? You talk about this as a team that goes eight extremely deep, right? We've talked about some other teams that maybe feel a little thinner where if injuries were to happen and they have to pull someone, you go, oh, this is going to be tough. That's not the case with this Georgia team. I have no concerns about someone like Narun Dorn or Grant slotting into to six and Kowalski, Hurdle, Lopata playing four or five, three even, right? No concerns at all. And that is an absolute luxury for this Georgia team, even without Vekic. 
They have a ton of pieces. They have a ton of players who are all at very similar levels. And that's what really one gets this team better week over week, practice after practice, and makes them extremely tough to beat at four, five, and six uh, down the home stretch of the season. You're absolutely right. They also have a bunch of game styles to deploy, which we don't talk enough about from a tactical perspective. We try to save that stuff for when the actual season begins and we look at specific lineups, specific matchups. But it's like... If Coach Wallace sees something in the film that he doesn't like or Drake sees something in the film that he doesn't like, they can actually say, hey, like, we're going to do this because we actually – we like, look at this matchup. We all know this is a better one for, say, Meg than it is for yep. Grant or this is a hurdle spot. Like, look at this player. You know Anya's yeah. just going to give her the business. I, You're right. This is probably – is this the deepest team in the country? Let's ask the question. From an, for, you well, mentioned from an eight perspective. Yeah, I mean, it, with package they go nine deep. That's crazy. Uh, extremely deep. I, I, yeah, I would say they're deeper than North Carolina. I agree. Right, which is like the measuring stick for for this. Uh, I think they're deeper than Texas. I agree. And I think arguably has other strengths that Texas might not have. I think Duke yeah. one through eight is sneaky deep because it's like even if you're pay- playing this year's sophomores, Coleman or Jackson, like you don't feel horrible about it. But Georgia's the, the better version of that, right? Yeah, I mean, the, the, it's a different permutation. But yeah, sure. yeah, Duke comes to mind as a team that you go, you know, Virginia seven, eight. But I mean, Oklahoma seven, eight. But like. This yeah. team, is, uh, this team's got depth. Nine, yeah, they've got nine options. Yeah, they, if they have nine options, even with the eight, like you feel really, really good about it. There's no team in the. I don't think there's any other team in the country that has a ten-five at number eight. Yeah, you could also make the argument you could split this team in half, and if you went like, okay, you get Ma, you get Riasco, you get Vimanova, you get Vecic, you get Lapata, you get Kowalski, you get Grant, you get Hurdle. Those teams are still top ten. Like it's it's crazy how t- maybe yeah. not top ten, but they're top sixteen. Top sixteen, yeah. 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 It's like, oh wait, I like that team. Give me Mott one. I'll <laughs> yeah. take Vietnova two. Kowalski, you know, yeah, I like those teams too. So Georgia one, Georgia two. Uh, look, yeah, I don't know how they have this, the, the all these players, but uh, shout out to them for associate um, for kind of putting together such a such a crew here yeah and you mentioned it last year the injury Viedmanova had at the end of the season yep. rolling her ankle Liam just disappearing from the roster for the last month if that happens this year like I'm not saying it's okay because you never want to lose top end talent but it's kind of okay like it's not the end of the world this te- I don't want to say you're injury proof because no one's injury proof but as we've alluded to this team has depth to get through it yeah and I think it just to put a fine point on your like platoon system, right? What that means though, is that just match in, match out. You don't need to play six of the same players match in, match out, which not only increases the chance that those injuries happen, but just the compounding effect of that, right? And you can kind of, you know, move players in and out as you need. I mean, there are going to be matches that, you know, they don't need all of those six players. You just let people play in different positions in the lineup, take a weekend off, focus on school, like that in and of itself during such a grueling, you know, January through May season 
alleviates a lot of the pressure that is also immeasurable and just kind of the emotional toll that the season has to just say, I have the weekend off. You know, I don't need to be um, primed and ready to go this weekend. That's literally – it's a crazy thing to say out loud. But if that's literally in the first meeting in January. If I'm Jeff Wallace, I'm sitting there and saying, listen, like seriously, if for any reason at all you're like, I just – I don't think I've got my best right now, can tell me. Like just be candid with me this year because we do have those sorts of options. And you feel like this is a team where if the communication is right, if the chemistry is right – this team could be humming through different points of the season. With that said, we've talked about all the different pieces, Jay. How do you see the lineup shaking up? So roster rule, I'm going to assume, you know, Vekic is in here. Yeah, roster. Um, <laughs> and she's on the roster, although she's not on their UTR site. Um, so we'll see. But I, I say Leah Ma's at one. I think she had a great fall. I think she has the experience there. I think you slot in Vekic at two. And I, I, I'm laughing because it puts Riasco at three, Viedmanova <laughs> at four. Viedmanova at four is like Fiona Crawley last year levels of joke. Yeah. Uh, I, and, and, I mean, they're very different players. But sure. I, there's just going to be match after match players who just cannot handle the Vian Nova power. At I'm four. sorry to say this school, but if you're like Missouri and it's Vian Minova at four, you're just like, and I'm sorry to keep dropping F-bombs, but it's just like, fuck me. Like, come on, man. This is, it's just well, brutal. Yeah. She probably doesn't play that match and she yeah. certainly doesn't play that match at four. But, um, so I mean, look, those are, those are your top four, right? Mm-hmm. That is like a very clear top four. In my opinion, I think you actually have a, hurdle Lopata situation at five and you keep Kowalski at six because I just think you love that all day and then you still have you know Narun Doran slotting in um next and then Grant next in terms of like the depth chart absolutely how, yeah how do you see that? well to your point hurdle 16 and three last year she went 14 and one at the five and six positions Kowalski yeah. went eight and two at the five and six positions like they went 15 and two at six last year jay they should be better at the six spot this year they went 14 and four at five last year they should be better at the number five spot this season which is a crazy proposition to say out loud and then you know again where do they struggle they went 12 and 10 at the number two single spot uh still 55 percent win percentage but the lowest on the board they went 16 and 7 at the number three spot all these numbers feel like low-hanging fruit for improvement, right? If I tell you they rip off a 17-5 and five season at three or even like a 15-6 and six season at two, and by the way, I think those numbers are going to be low because I think a lot of matches are going to be completed at the four, five, and six spots for this Georgia team. Man, their ability to find four in different ways is fascinating. I agree with you with the groupings. I would put Vecic in that top four firmly. Now, I would go... So let me ask you this. Last season, they had one, two, three, four players play 19 total dual matches or finish 19 decisions. I am wondering significantly if any player on this roster is going to get more than 15 decisions finalized uh, in this grouping. Because I just feel like, again, depending on the team, depending on the matchups, there's going to be days when the number one singles player can't handle the weapons of a moth. There's going to be days when the five and six just do not have the level to hang with this Georgia team. 
Does any player eclipse 20 total decisions this year for the Bulldogs? Yes or no? That's my over-under for you on this pod. I think 20 is too high. I agree. I think that's too high. Yeah, I think 20 is too high. I think the it would be like a 16 or 17. Um, you know, throw in a half, 17 and a half. <laughs> uh, it's... I, it's tough because I also think a lot of those numbers are inflated by the closer matches that they had down that home stretch, like with an Alabama, right, in the, the NCAA early rounds. Like, those shouldn't be as close as they probably were, the, uh, the SEC early rounds, but they were missing players. So I think there's going to be – this team is absolutely better than they were last year, and they are better at every single position, in my opinion. So there's going to be a lot more decisive matches, and those are going to come from a lot – different more different players so yeah i you know probably not yeah all right well then with that in mind i guess i, I copped out of the lineup i copied out uh shout out to the puns um <laughs> you gotta chuckle thank god i was like jay please chuckle jay please chuckle and he <laughs> did um all right i'll go uh, my one i mean i'm just so in on via Minova. But I'll go Riasco two for now. I'll go Viedmanova three, Vecic four, which just feels impossible that she'll be playing yeah. four. That's just like – that's a bad prediction by me, guys. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, five's the Siebert position where they're going to be like sometimes it's Hurdle. Sometimes it's uh, Lapata, Sometimes it's whomever. And I do – like the concept of Meg Kowalski at six. I just – I love it. Like the second yeah, game I, I remember, I'm like, I'm in. The game yeah, style, the energy. Yeah. That's what reads, you know, national championship run, right? Is Kowalski yeah. at six. That is, I mean, storybook ending to where she was playing in the 2019 run to the finals. So, you know, I think you, you know, bookend it there. Uh, you know, I will say, so like, what are the open questions? We've been very high on this team so far. They have to figure out doubles. Yeah. Doubles and- was a huge. Well, I was going to say, to your point, this team, you beat me to it. And by the way, this shows we're in prime form here now folks jay knows where i'm going next they went 37 and 29 in dual match doubles play last year that's not going to be good enough this season with how talented all the teams are at top right yeah not good enough at all right uh look we like them in all their singles positions this is a a team that hey roll out the balls i think we can get a win at one through six but not down 1-0 right and not down 1-0 in the later stages of these national tournaments you know, Liam Ma doesn't really play doubles for them, and they got to have they got to figure that out. Um, they got to maybe figure out a way to get Lopata, you know, humming in doubles early in the season. They just can't bat, you know, a little better than five hundred in doubles to compete against these teams that have are all establishing at these top eight. You know, you look at an NC State, a UNC. These teams are all establishing like very strong doubles programs, and Georgia needs to step up there. Yeah, and look, Vecic has never had the biggest uh, doubles success in her uh, in her ITF career. Has never been ranked inside the top one thousand in doubles. I'm looking for Lapata. She was number twenty nine doubles ranking in the world in the juniors. So I suppose maybe take it with a grain of salt because juniors doubles isn't exactly college doubles. But I do like the fact that. 
outside of their number one doubles team of Kopik and Hurdle, everyone's back, right? Like Grant and Kowalski got to play a bunch of matches together last year. Yes, they went eight and five at three, but like there's some continuity there. Villanova Riasco, 11 and six at the number two spot. Yes, they weren't great, but there's some continuity there. You do wonder if you're Jeff Wallace, was all you're doing this fall doubles? And like, if we're going to, he's like, I'm not worried about the singles. We'll figure out the six. That's not going to be the issue. We're really good at tennis. But like finding three doubles, honestly, three, find me two doubles pairings. Because if we're up 1-0, being a Georgia fan in this, we in this scenario, like how is this team losing three, uh, four singles matches in any match that they play, right? The concept of that is just, if they are up 1-0, I cannot see them losing. And I just think that's becoming more and more common, yeah. right? I think there was a, a big delta historically between these top teams in the talent they had alone in singles that they could take a loss in doubles and they, you know, move on and they're going to find four, maybe all six singles. That's just not the case anymore, right? It's going to, it's just so challenging to get these four singles. It's funny. You mentioned the continuity. I look at that and I almost was like, Ooh, they bring everyone back. Maybe that's not a good thing. Maybe we just mix these up, uh, bring in some new teams, find something new. I mean, yeah, look, maybe they skipped all Americans cause they were just playing doubles, uh, in Athens all week long, but, um, <laughs> Maybe that is what will will pan out. So we'll have to see. That's going to be a, a big thing to watch. If you're watching for th- signs early in the season for this Georgia team, watch doubles. Yeah. The other concern I would have, we talked about the big questions. This would be my last, I wouldn't even say big concern, but it is a concern. And look, we're, we're, pulling at gra- we're grasping at straws here, right? Because this team clearly has a ton of talent on paper. But when I look at this group, Again, with all due respect, Riasco, I, I guess Ma has, but Riasco, Villanova, Vecic, Lapata, and to some extent, I suppose, Hurdle, like, they haven't played the biggest matches, right? Like, yes, Kowalski was there for the 2019 run. I believe Leah Ma was not there for the 2019 Correct. run. Now, she was there in 21 when this team got to play in some big stages, certainly, but that would be my other t- concern is, like, I think this team's going to win a lot of matches 4-0. I know that's really, like, how was that a concern? Well, what happens when it's 3-all in a dual match and Kowalski's match is finished and it comes down to a Riasco or it comes down to a Viedmanova or a Vecic or a Lapata and they just haven't been there before? Like, again, you got five months to rack up those experiences, but I'm genuinely concerned that it's just going to be like 4-0, 4-1, 4-0, 4-1, and you're blitzing through these matches and you don't necessarily get tested the way – you don't callous up, I guess, the way you need to to be that national championship team. I think that's very valid. I think it's also been a knock on this Georgia team for the last few years Yeah, where it does feel like they run through a softer schedule. Particularly, I would note that the SEC has not been as strong these past few years as the ACC Women's Conference has become the conference in women's tennis. And the Florida, Georgia days of the SEC have kind of taken, you know, rescinded a little bit. Then this Georgia team would just run through the SEC conference. And then you look at that 2021 match. They played a Virginia team in the round of 16 extremely close, and that was a Virginia team that was probably third, fourth, or fifth in the in the ACC, right? Um, and then obviously in 2022, they kind of fall short for potentially other reasons. So I think that's a very valid concern. We've seen that playbook before where they go 
and they kind of steamroll throughout the regular season and fall a little short, um, you know, in, in the NCAAs. I think what I would take some solace in if I was a Georgia fan is that you did get the experience of a Riasco and a Vidmanova. Maybe it wasn't the biggest of matches last year, but I think moving up to one and two, Riasco having to play one in the round of 16 at Duke, that's a that's a good feather in her cap. That's a tough experience to do. Same with Vidmanova. Again, it's not just the the atmosphere, but also the pressure. You know, Liam Mott gets removed at number one, and now everyone on that team is looking to you as the leaders at one and two. So there is some experience here that I think they can build on. Yeah, you brought up the SEC point, and I think it's a valid one that sticks into this season as well. You know I ride the Mark Weaver Texas A&M bandwagon. I like to think I created it as hard. I will. You know I get on my shticks, right? Like I'll, I'll. There are there are certain drums I like to beat over and over again. And Texas A&M would have won the 2022 national championship had Makarova not rolling her ankle. It's just something you're going to hear a lot of over the course of the next few years. Put that on the list of Gruskinisms moving forward. It's but the like, UNC 2020 title. Yeah. <laughs> It's the modern day version. Um, yeah, by the way, Coach Calvis, you never sent me my 2020 ring. I'm still waiting for it in the mail. Um, He's still waiting for it. <laughs> All right. To rein it in, though, like when you look at the ACC, to your point, UNC, Duke, NC State, Virginia, Miami, like before we even get into the depth of the depth, those five teams are just going to kill each other throughout the course of the season. I love you, Roland. I love you, Coach Weaver. Like, I think the second my the team I maybe like second most right now in the SEC is Auburn. Like, maybe or like probably A and M two still, but I think there's a pretty big delta right now between Georgia and the rest of the conference. And you know, when I look at Georgia's schedule, which is where I want to go next, you look at their kickoff weekend. USC coming to town is a very tricky kickoff weekend. Like that is a test right away, and it's going to be a very fun one. In Athens, assuming USC gets through Notre Dame in match number one, Georgia. Hopefully, if they lose to Stetson, we'll have an emergency podcast, folks, right of the way, uh, come kickoff weekend. But, I mean, obviously, you've got the national indoors. Here's the thing, though. I really like this North Carolina-Georgia matchup that we've been getting at the start of the season over the past Love couple it. of years. We get it again as the as the Bulldogs going to travel to Chapel Hill early in February. They're going to go to Columbus to play Ohio State before the start of the national indoors. They've got Georgia Tech on their non-conference as well. And then they get into the meat of the SEC season. Now, again, it's a little light from a non-conference perspective, but nor- at North Carolina – at Ohio State, USC kickoff weekend plus at least three national indoor matches. They are going to get some tests throughout the year, right? What do you think of the schedule? Yeah, I, I mean, doing this now for a few years, I'm like, oh, this is the same schedule we got last year. <laughs> we get <laughs> we, we we get that UNC match early in the year. I like the fact for this Georgia team that it is on the road because they're going to get that USC match at kickoff at home. So it's good for this team to go on the road and get tested there. I like the scheduling of Ohio State. Ohio State came to Georgia last year. So now they're on the road. You know, that's a, a good tune-up for, um, for indoors. Other than that, fairly light. Uh, but look, we'll know a lot about this Georgia team at the end of indoors. 
Yeah, and you know, last year again they went one and two, right? And that was certainly a revealing moment. If they go one and two and again this year, then maybe some of our concerns about the big match play and them not getting many after that national indoors becomes that much more heightened. But yeah, look, they're going to get tested. They're going to get at least I don't know eight, nine, ten tough matches throughout the course of the regular season. I mean, when I look at why this team's number four and not the unequivocal number one, it's that when you look at some of the other teams, right, we've just seen them play more big matches. Like, I'm trying to think what other Achilles heel I might have for this Georgia team. If the SEC's not good, is that like an Achilles? Like, I don't know. If Like, are you going to penalize well, them because the conference's not great? What do you? Why is it this team higher, Jay? Well, I just look at Texas A&M last season, right? Sure. I think it's very possible that this Georgia team has a Texas A&M. That's a great comp. Shout out to you. Thank you. Uh, Texas A&M lost two matches last year. Yeah. Both were indoors. By the way, they don't have an indoor facility. <laughs> they lost 4-3 indoors, and they lost 4-3 uh, indoors at the NCAAs to Oklahoma. You know, and that's basically what Georgia did in 2021. So they're used to running through these schedules and just falling in these in these key matches. So that's what you watch out for, right? Um, but I do think that they will kind of run through the conference. What I like about this Georgia team specifically against A&M is the depth, right? I think that was one of the reasons that we don't have Texas A&M in the top 10, despite a lot of the talent that they bring back was just questions about five, six, seven, and we have no questions about Georgia, right? You look at some of these other teams above Georgia, it's probably because there are just locks of locks in some of that lineup that I just really like that Georgia doesn't have. But, I mean, we've talked about it. One through nine, uh, any one of those players could beat any other player in the country in that position. I'm looking at Florida's roster right now, and they've got, let's see, three, six, nine players on the roster. They've got three upperclassmen at Florida. Like, I, and this is quick SEC talk, I guess, a quick tangent. I agree. I think A&M's – you feel pretty comfortable a and going to be top 16, right? Absolutely, yeah. I feel I feel pretty comfortable saying that about them. I feel pretty comfortable saying that about, obviously, Georgia, as we have them preseason number four. Auburn, top 16 team? I mean, they'll certainly be in the hunt. How confident are you in that group? The reason I bring I this up is it's just like, how many, to- how many big ranked wins is this team going to have the opportunity to get in conference play? Yeah, and I think that that will come down to how many teams they get in indoors, sure. right? If Florida doesn't make indoors, that's going to be a knock on the conference. Uh, I think Auburn is at Ohio State. Mm-hmm. They usually end up playing each other in the kickoff, but Auburn will be is a top 16 seed for kickoff, so they might make it to indoors. I think Auburn's going to be missing a few pieces this year, uh, which will make it tough for them to to challenge a, a Georgia or a Texas A&M Um but that's sort of the class of of the SEC. I mean, Florida is still on the like the, Ooh, the on the outskirts. Yeah, Tennessee is like the Arkansas men of the SEC. It's just a <laughs> dangerous. They're they're better than the Arkansas men, but just a yeah. dangerous team. This Tennessee team I've talked about is one through six, just like complete parody, right? Yeah. Like one, like six is probably beating one in practice matches. <laughs> um, you know, so. That's a, a dangerous team. Vanderbilt, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Going to be much better this season. So look, there will be matches in the SEC. I think the benefit of that is they all play each other. They all beat up on each other in those kind of two, three, four, five spots. So they all end up getting ranked 
fairly high. So I'm not super concerned about it. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. Again, it's going to be interesting to see that what the the middle of this is. You know, I know on the extremes, I think George is going to finish first. Should I, I'm not taking a second shot at Missouri, so never mind. I'm going to leave that thought in the queue, but I think you all know what I'm thinking just by saying that out loud. But, like, everything in between is going to be fascinating because Arkansas is pretty good on the women's side. Like, everyone's sneaky good. There's a lot of yeah. hungry programs in the SEC constantly who, again, given the rejiggering of that SEC tier system right now, Florida's not the unequivocal powerhouse they yeah. once were. Vanderbilt's not the unequivocal powerhouse they once were. I'm fascinated by the SEC because it's is it it's the second best conference, right? Like outside of the ACC, pretty clearly. I would counter with Ooh. Big Twelve. Ooh, okay. I'm listening. I mean, we're talking about a Big Twelve conference that just had the NCAA champion and NCAA finalist, right? True. Uh, looking ahead at 2023, you have Texas, you have Oklahoma, you have an Oklahoma State team that will definitely be in the you know top 16. They don't go. They don't have as many teams in the Big Twelve. They don't go as deep, right? But arguably, pound for pound at the top, the Big Twelve is a much stronger conference than uh, the SEC. But I will say the SEC is. This is a bounce back year, I think, for the yes. SEC. They kind of struggled in the late, you know, 2010s and through COVID, surprisingly so. But I think they're bouncing back. The The depth of those teams that will be ranked 11 through 25, they're going to have more teams there than they have in the past, uh, more teams in the NCAA tournament. Um, so I think it'll be a big improvement. Only two SEC, nope, three SEC host sites. But let me ask you, who gets through these regions? A&M, Florida, Arizona, FAU. You're back in A&M in that region? Oh, it's A&M, Florida, right? Yeah, they're both in the kickoff region. Oh, so I have to make my kickoff picks now? No, no, no but oh, yes. Uh, no, just just this specific region, I guess. Because it's like, let's say the SEC gets one from there. Georgia. Yeah, well, they will. Should, they will get one from there. Yeah, Georgia should beat SC, but like, I, some, I know that's. Yeah, some we'll say two for the benefit of the doubt. Here's the Auburn region, though. Auburn, Arizona State, UCF, UCSB. Like, Oof, mm, yeah, that's a second straight. By the way, did Auburn, Arizona State, and UCF all look at each other and we're like, we had a lot of fun last year, so let's, let's run it do back. It again. Yeah, like, let's, <laughs> let's yeah, do for it the again. sake of, uh, did Kenyako call, uh, you know, Caroline Lilly, and he's just like, what do you think? Um, and I just thought, again, I would love to have been a fly on the wall there during that. Um, here's like, if the SEC only gets one school, I mean, two schools to the national indoors. Do we have to do this argument again where we list out how shitty that ends up being for the rest of the conference the trickle-down effect of just getting multiple schools there because you need to get multiple wins because the rankings all end up bleeding over, et cetera, et cetera? I'm fascinated by the SEC this year. Yeah, and you go – even if you do get you know a Florida and A&M both at indoors – I don't know if A&M's indoor facility has been built yet, but that's not a team that is an indoor team. Florida, I mean, Roland won't even have them practice indoors in prep for, I mean, they're focused on outdoors, so they're not an indoor team. So even if they get there, they probably won't get a lot of wins. It's going to be fascinating. Uh, again, I'm really looking forward to watching all of this SEC play uh, unfold. With all of that said, now it's time for the worst part of the podcast, Jay. It's time for us to make some predictions. I think we both agree that this team, as we've alluded to, is very likely to win the conference, so we can move away from that. Do you assume, oh, we'll go quickly. You think they sweep it? 
conference regular season and tournament? Uh, yeah, I'll go. I'll go sweep. You look at their matches real quick because uh, I guess we didn't do this. They are they are at, at Vander- Texas A&M, They're right? at Vanderbilt. They are Tennessee's at home. Auburn's at home. They're at A and M. Florida's at home. South Carolina, who we haven't mentioned, at home. Yeah, I feel pretty good that this team sweeps both the regular season and the conference title. I agree with you there. How do they do at the indoors? Uh, I think they go two and one, but I think that like last win is on that is on the third day. I agree. So I think yeah, I think that's what happens. I just think this is a young team, and like give them a second. That's a huge repetition. They could lose four three to NC State, right, or like something funky like that. They're also going to be a lower seed probably come the come that national indoors. As you look right now, Georgia is the twelve seed. That means they would face for well, hold on, if they face Virginia in the round of sixteen. That's a, a beneficial matchup. Then maybe Duke, assuming all these seeds stay put in the quarterfinals. Yeah, I like a more experienced Duke team to knock out a younger Georgia team at the National Indoors and then Georgia to clean up on whoever they face in that third match. So I agree with you. Two and one feels about right, but that second win comes on day number three. All right. We agree this team's a top 16. I think if you win the SEC, you're going to be a top eight seed. So I have them as a top eighter. You agree? I agree. Then with that in mind, Jay, make the prediction. Look, I think uh I will say I don't love sitting here in you know late December having open questions about who is on this roster. I hate it. Uh with that said, if Thackage is in this roster uh, is in this lineup, this team makes the NCAA semifinal. <sighs> It's a good pick. I mean, they've got so much talent. So much talent. I'm going quarterfinals, Jay. I just wow. think— Wow. With Vekic? With Vekic, because we have the roster rule wow. in effect. I just think it's a year too soon. Like, I I think this team's the favorite to win the 2024 title. Like, lock that in right <laughs> now. Like, like, five favorites for that uh, title, but okay. Do we already? Uh, uh, who else do we I say mean, is our favorite? Stanford? Stanford. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Whoopsies! And yeah, by the way, North Carolina is not going to be bad in, in 2024 either. Um, <sighs> interesting. Wow. So, what do you have them without Vekic? Also, quarterfinal. <laughs> or we're Jay, not really getting into those I'm nuances. I'm just praying no one listens this long into the podcast, and we're not beholden to any of these predictions. It's just the it's it's the ages. That's all it comes down to. And we've already picked Duke to make the semifinals. We've already picked Stanford, uh, excuse me, Oklahoma to make the semifinals as well. There's only four semifinal spots, and I've still got my finalist and my title winner to come. It's that they're going to blitz through the SEC. It's that just inherently I like the teams that are the most calloused up going into the NCAA tournament, and I do worry for this team being young the way it is, that they haven't seen the biggest stages the way that they have. Again, in 2024, I freaking love this roster. I really love it in 2023 as well. I just, I'm going, because someone has to lose in the quarterfinals. I have this team losing 4-3. All right, fair enough. I would say the one counterpoint is I if they do run through this season that we talked about, they will be a very high seed, right? And so you're asking them to win one match in Orlando. One match as maybe the three seed getting the six. Who are they going to be playing? 
what if they're playing Oklahoma as the six? Because Texas and Oklahoma beat each other up throughout the course of the year, and it's like one of them's a top four seed, the other's not. Fair enough. Fair enough. I, you know, look, it's been a tough NCAA tournament for for the Bulldogs the last few years, so that could very well happen. Talk about yin and yang, Oklahoma, Georgia. Like some greater than the whole of the parts. Boy, are the parts an overwhelming sum when it comes to Georgia, and it's just like. Uh, I hate this part of the show. I really hate it so much. This is why I've made it my best in life to no longer make predictions. And the moment, the moment that Cracked Rackets is guaranteed to do the NCAA tournament moving forward, I'm going into national indoors mode where I'm like, sorry, can't make predictions. We're calling it. Can't afford to have people think I'm biased. Um, Yeah, this sucks. Like, this Georgia team is good enough. As we said at the start, as we say on every show, Jay, it's your favorite line uh, from me. All of these teams are tier one contenders. All of these teams in any ordinary season would be overwhelming favorites to win the title. 2023 is not ordinary, and this team is really exciting, but I'm going to say they're a year away. Final word goes to you. Well, the one thing I'll say is, you know, you know, hyperbole can be your friend, um, but I don't think you're being hyperbolic in saying that so many of these teams can win the title. I think there is... There is a chance that North Carolina is a, a class above, right? And so all of these teams are actually tier two teams. But that's – look, who knows if that will happen? The the talent, the depth, I don't feel like I've been in this situation before where we're talking about number six, number five, number four, where we are saying, like, I totally see a world where they can win the title. This year is that year. And so – I want to just say you're not being hyperbolic uh, in that situation. Well, even if I am, guess what, folks? Hyperbole makes for good podcasting. So I feel no shame in that fact. But yeah, I'm just – I can't wait. I cannot wait for this season to begin because I really don't know how it's going to play out. And not to be rude to all of you listeners, but like Jay and I know more than you. And if he and I have no idea how this is going to be sorted out in the end, like – I just, I don't know. I don't, like, it's going to be fascinating, Jay. Final plug. You know what you and I don't know more than some people listening to this show? What? What's that? Is if that pitch is going to be eligible come January. <laughs> so if you do know, you know where to find us. DMs, DMs are, are open. Yeah, we are happy J- to receive that information. At Jay Tweets Tennis, at AL Gruskin. And as always, I recommend don't leak to Parsa. Trust me, Jay and I are far more fun uh, to give information to. With all of that said, your preseason number four team, the University of Georgia, as talented as any team you will find across the country with that said folks only three teams left to go and of course jay and i will be back to preview those three teams thursday tuesday thursday coming up over the next week and a half chris hallioris joins me every wednesday and friday for our men's previews and guess what folks the college tennis season, it's going to start before you know it. We are less than two weeks away from our first dual match officially being underway. We hope you'll stick with us for the rest of our previews. And, of course, stick with us throughout the course of the 2023 season. With that said, any things you need to plug, Jay? Any final 2022 holiday thoughts? You know, maybe you're a bit, maybe you had a, a Hanukkah revelation throughout the course of this hour. Revelations. I don't know if they were Hanukkah related, but <laughs> no, uh, nothing to plug. I mean, uh, no ad, no problem. Instagram, no ad, no problem. Podcast. Uh, you know, we'll have to do kind of like predictions in January. Or I will do 
predictions I did those last year, they were mostly all false. But uh, yeah, looking forward to it. I love it. Well, with all that said, then shout out to you. Shout out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. With that said, for the fantastic John J. Parsons, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I am your host, Alex Gruskin, number four in our preseason poll is the University of Georgia, who are our top three schools entering this season. Continue to listen to find out. But for now, Jay, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thank you as always, my friend.